0: Whether you consider it a needlessly massive alternative to Dixon's or the Las Vegas Convention Center of Northeastern Germany, the IFA Technology Conference in Berlin is the annual summit of the biggest European and global technology companies. And we've been on site to see everything it has to offer this year. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson, And I'm Ian Morris. We're going to spend the whole program today talking about IFA, what we learned from it, what we've seen, what our opinions are, and how it's set to affect us. Is that not true, Ian? Yes,
2: it is absolutely true. Although I didn't go, so I'm just relying on the information that I've seen come through the internet
0: Indeed. Well, I I was there and uh, I ate enough verst for the both of us. Um, let's start with the Sony Xperia Z5. Now, this is the new flagship phone from Sony, the successor to the Z3 Plus. Skipping over the Z4, I believe there, and it's the first phone to have a 4K display. Now, before I give you my opinions, having used it, Ian, what was your first impression upon hearing Sony releasing a 4K screen on a phone?
2: Um, well, probably largely the same as yours. Um, I don't know why you'd want a phone with a 4K screen. I mean, I it, it, arguably, 4K starts to come into its own and be really useful. Uh, I suppose if you're sitting at a computer, it's uh, smaller displays, but even so, probably not beneath about 27 30 inches. On a TV, Mm. 40, 45, 50 inches maybe. I definitely don't need one on a a 5.5 or 5.9 or something.
0: It's five and a half inches and you're right. The size is a a key factor but also the distance you are from the screen is a key factor. Um, For example, sitting um, very, very close to a 30 inch screen with 4K monitor is going to give you the same sort of experience as sitting several feet away from an 80-inch television yeah, but screen.
2: To get the, the experience out of a, a 4K screen on a phone, you're going to have to have that
0: phone inside your skull, aren't you? Well, I tried to insert it within <laughs> myself when I, was, when I was out there. Now, now, here's the thing. Firstly, it is a very beautiful, very slim, very elegant-looking phone, as, as most of Sony's are, very premium. But I had to get my eyes so close in order to see the difference between my iphone 6 plus which has a, a pixel a p- pixel per inch count of about 440 pixels per inch um, next to the the sony which is over 800 pixels per inch so double the pixel density i had to get so close it was physically painful for me to focus on the screen however i will say this that I could tell a difference most notably on text like no even when I was painfully close to the screen you cannot make out pixels on the text now whether you need that is obviously a fairly subjective and and b definitely up for debate Um, but but I can at least say that in person you can tell a difference if you get close enough and if you look at the right bits the problem is is that from a standard usage I could not tell a difference And it struck me that given that Sony was saying, we're going to have this phone that's going to have two-day battery life, this is great. It just made me think, what if you lowered the resolution of the screen down to, you know, what it was before and allowed that screen to benefit from the battery innovation you've got? Maybe you would get that to over two days or at least two days during heavier usage. And that was the number one question I had about this, which is otherwise a very nice phone, but the 4K thing is what everyone's shouting about as well as the camera which allegedly is a lot better but we haven't had the chance yet to test that um,
2: this time last year sony were telling us that uh the big selling point of the xperia z3 was that um well not the big selling point but one of the big selling points was that it had long battery life and the reason it had long battery life was that it only had a 1080p screen mm. and uh and and they again it launched a z3s just before no z3 plus sorry uh just before um Ether. And uh, again, told us that it was a 1080p screen because it saves battery. So I don't know. I think I think you know they've got to differentiate themselves, and that's what they're driving at, really, isn't it? So
0: it definitely is. And the key thing they're pushing for here is 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 imaging and uh, in in both of its guises, both as a camera and as a display. The problem is is that I just don't know the 4K display yet offers enough to enhance the photography experience and the camera you could arguably put in a phone that doesn't have that screen and and maybe saves on battery life or even price because i've seen prices for the top end version of the z5 to be over 600 quid you know more expensive than the than the iphone 6 plus which is one of the most expensive phones on the market let's talk about something you want to raise Ian. panasonic's 4k oled television
2: panasonic shut down plasma a while ago um and even i think uh, ditched LCD uh, internal production of its own, I think. And the idea was always that it was going for OLED as its uh, sort of vision of the future, which makes sense because the company's heritage is in emissive displays, which means they glow rather than they need a backlight. Um, and so OLED makes a lot of sense. And so they've announced this 4K OLED TV that apparently um, may retail, it's 65 inches, may retail for around £8,000. But it sounds, from the people who've seen it and have uh, been talking about it, sounds like it might have just nailed the, the, the technology completely. Uh, HDR capable um, and, you know, 4K, which is really remarkable. So uh, exciting, exciting times. Um, yeah, well I saw this, I-, I thought I saw this
0: at CES at the start of the year.
2: They've been talking about it for a while now. I mean, they've had OAD samples uh I, when did I go to CS with them? I I went um it was the tail end of when I was working at Pocketland, I think. So it would have been um two years ago well
0: this was in january that i saw it i mean they were saying it then that it was the world's largest 4k oled which is amazing because i still remember only a few years ago being at ces and i saw in fact i think you may have been there with me as well actually and was the sony 11 inch oled the um, the thing that cost about two thousand pounds they had it on sale there at one of the las vegas hotels that's right yeah and here so so very few years later, we're now talking 4K OLED and going on sale. And 4K is a very impressive piece of technology. It's definitely something worth investing in once the price—pardon me—once the price gets to affordable levels. Um, I would not consider eight thousand pounds affordable levels, however. Given the advancement of this technology, given LG's involvement in pushing OLED, that you know these prices are going to come down probably you know fifty percent every year. You know if we're talking eight grand this year, wouldn't surprise me if we see four grand next year. Um, And and once the panels themselves become cheaper to produce, we're going to see a much wider range of companies offering these for even less money. So. I think we're at the beginning of affordable 4K OLED at least by the looks of it.
2: Well there's also um Panasonic t- told me um when they first announced they were going into OLEDs that they had their own proprietary technology for making OLEDs uh that was going to be a lot cheaper and would um would would bring OLEDs down to at the time they weren't affordable at all. They are they are much more affordable now. Um but it, it, they said it would uh, it would reduce the cost um and they have some sort of printing technology so it I think their idea was that they were going to print them much like a you know a desk an inkjet printer
0: works. Okay, well let's uh, we'll come back to looking at 4K in the future as as we see it, but certainly this one is this this one from Panasonic looks at least to be on the verge of UK availability. I think the other thing, just actually briefly, that I did notice is that I did see a lot more. Well, first I saw a lot more curved 4K televisions at IFA this year, but <sighs> more <laughs> indeed. But although I I, I support that grown despite being somebody who has bought a curved gaming monitor ah,
2: well it's a bit different for a monitor though mm. because you're sitting again it comes down to the where you're sitting i mean you know you've got a bit how big's your monitor
0: Thirty-five inches, yeah, I think.
2: exactly. So you're sitting a meter most away from a thirty-five-inch monitor. To have it curve means you get a little bit more in your peripheral vision, doesn't it? So it makes some sense. um TVs. What you're really doing with a curve is you're reducing the viewing angle. I mean, it's probably not true for LED, but if it's an LCD, you're reducing the viewing angle for people who are not sitting. Dead on, and it doesn't make any sense. Um, I've u- I've seen uh, I've I've used Samsung's LCD curved, and I've used LG's curved uh, OLED, and they're both brilliant. Um, but I don't think I would rush to buy one is um, in a normal lounge.
0: What I did see aside from the curved uh, uh, models is HDR. Now I've seen a few HDR televisions now, which, although not identical in principle to HDR photography, which Uh, essentially takes a, a low exposure a a normal exposure and then a slightly overexposed picture at the same time or or nearly at the same time combines them together to offer a more realistic representation of lights and darks in an image what hdr tv does is still try and present more realistic lights and darks and color saturation in a picture and i saw two or three different side-by-side comparisons from the likes of sony or um you know samsung the the big the big guys for this year. And although you can immediately tell the difference, it is so clear that it's going to be a purely subjective opinion as to whether one is better than the other because you could argue the task in and, and blacks i actually think i preferred the non-hdr version because mm. i thought that the hdr version in certain areas actually looked a little bit washed out
2: well that's inevitable isn't it really yeah.
0: because what you're doing is you're giving more
2: more stops of light um so it's it's going to wash out the blacks a bit unless they go through in post-production and do something to stop that from happening yeah uh but yeah i, I mean i really like the idea of hdr um because I because I, I the example I always use is you're going to you you're, you're sitting in a, uh, a room and you're looking out of a window and with the human eye the room is exposed correctly and what's out of the window is exposed correctly but with uh, a video camera you have to pick one yeah. you have to pick internal or external but obviously if HDR gives you the opportunity to not do that it 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 it's probably not best used when it's completely dark or completely light. It's probably better used when you're just doing something that the, you take for granted in normal vision. Um, you know, like clouds in the sky whilst retaining detail in, in people's faces and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I, I can see the advantage of it again. Um, it's important with HDR and an HFR, you know, high frame rate. Um, these are new, new technologies that have just arrived and, um you can't expect videographers and the like to get this right immediately it takes a lot of time and and practice and i've always been a i'm a big proponent of high frame rates because uh, especially if you're doing web video or something like that um you know people need to get over the fact that things need to look like film because um that's frequently not the best way of shooting things sometimes Mm. it is um, but when I shoot a video of a phone, I always, go, I always shoot for the highest possible frame rate I can get on the camera because, um, you know, I think it looks a lot better.
0: The the other thing that's worth noting from my, my tour of IFA is that while HDR is clearly something manufacturers are very interested in, it does not come across as being a big push in the same way that 4K or even curved screens are When we think back to how televisions were the likes of CES and and EFA for a while, and it was 3D, 3D, sort of you were almost exhausted by the word, the term 3D coming out of any of these shows. (laughs) That's exactly
2: how I felt, actually. You you really nailed that. It was just exhausting, wasn't
0: it? 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 it, It really is. But... HDR sort of it felt like a light touch at least this year from the manufacturers. It didn't seem to be as heavily forced down throats as as previous technologies. Let's be honest, mate.
2: It's not going to sell any TVs. It's it's something that um, will be useful, used in the right way. Um, but it, it isn't going to. It's not going to tell people. You know, people are not going to go. Oh, well, I better get rid of my old TV. I better get this new HDR TV. It, it, it's just not going to work like that. It's a nice thing to have in an arsenal of of toys if you will Mm. um and netflix and amazon instant video are the two for two companies doing it first so again you know you've got to be part of that online streaming club to even get close to testing this kind of technology
0: let's talk about selfie sticks it's Uh. an atrocious piece of technology and using them uh, frankly probably should be illegal however that did not stop intel showing off something rather curious at its keynote at IFA this year and it was the 360 degree video selfie stick which is essentially a monopod with six GoPros strapped to the end hmm. and it intel seems to think by showing this, that this is the way video is going. And I'm inclined to agree, probably, that large amounts of video will go 360 degree. To get to put this into perspective for, um, pardon me, somebody hasn't used it, think about Google Street View. Imagine Street View was a video where you can rotate, zoom in and out, and and rotate the camera around the screen. That's basically 360 degree video. It's recorded in directions all at the same time so that you're essentially playing a sphere of video around the screen and you can just look in whichever way you want certainly key to virtual reality headsets like the oculus rift htc vive morpheus from sony all those kind of things they all need 360 degree support by their nature and it's only uh, it stands to reason that we're going to get these in um standalone products now i thought this was interesting because not because they showed off, you know, a six GoPro strapped to a pole. Um but the fact is that this technology is not going to need six GoPros within within too much time. I've I've seen one product already that does a passable three hundred and sixty degree video effect from two cameras. Essentially two fisheye lenses mounted either side of an extremely thin Um, device and it it, it records photos and uh, spherical photos and videos, it's probably not unreasonable to think that within 18 months or so to two years, we're going to have phones that have these types of cameras on them. And that made me both terrified in the context of the selfie stick um, or or what I consider the uh, narcissism pole or, um, you know, or or something else. And Ian, what's your... What's your view?
2: Well, um, I I love VR, actually. I'm surprisingly into it. Um, and one of the things that I didn't love was the quality of 360-degree video. Um, and this is where things start to get difficult because in order to shoot uh, video like you're talking about that surrounds you completely you have to have really high resolution because otherwise it looks awful in front of you mm. oh um, yeah
0: these were 4k i should point out these were yeah and how did you find it looked well it was being shown on a screen uh, rather okay. than in any kind of uh close-up setting mm, but it yeah. did certainly look good you know it looked yeah it looked decent
2: um yeah i mean there's a lot to be said for the you know the, the kind of screens used and all that kind of stuff um uh, the, you, really it's all about resolution I mean it, photos work really well because obviously fo- photo resolution is much less limited than video is um, and, uh, and one of my favourite favourite things about the um, the Galaxy Gear VR was the ability to um, go and stand on Mars and look around mm. because obviously the, the rover has been taking Curiosity has been taking all these wonderful panoramas um, and you can go to Mars I mean it is stunning Um but video is so much harder to do. Um, obviously, you're talking about shooting, you know, 25, 30, 40. In fact, really, you need, some pe- people who I've spoken to about VR say you need six, 77 frames per second or something to have smooth VR. Um, and so you're talking about having to shoot that at 4K or above. It's really hard to do. And I, I you know, a couple of GoPros aren't going to do it um, no a couple of no, no definitely
0: definitely not but i think you know we're talking Intel. we're showing this off i think to show the power of um its new chips that yeah. could uh you know stitch together six 4k streams simultaneously without too much graphical horsepower but it but it does seem to be the way that the industry's going and and even if we're not talking six 4k cameras certainly two you know, we already have 4K cameras on mobile phones and have for a, for a year or two. It's only a matter of time before, at the very least, we have lenses that that clip over these phones to allow us to take 360 degree videos on our phones and, and that's what I think is interesting YouTube is supporting 360 degree upload already um, and I've seen a number of uh, uh, lens manufacturers at IFA that were selling or showing off rather their sort of cl- very high end all glass premium lens attachments for iphones and android and it's i don't know it, it strikes me that this is a trend that's not far away i can certainly see the usefulness if not 360 degrees certainly these kind of um very high width um very wide lenses and uh, and video effects so we we shall we shall come back to that i will say one thing a, a few weeks ago i was in new york and went to buy a, a pair of shoes from a, a company called tom's and a cross town to go and and find them and they've got this this rather rustic and and quite nice little shop and in the shop they had a demo area with an Oculus Rift which I thought was a little odd for a company that sells shoes but it, but the company has this program where when you buy a pair of shoes they give a pair of shoes to um, sort of needy children and families in places like Argentina and and developing uh, nations, and they'd done this video to sort of show what it was like on the day where they go and deliver a lot of these shoes, and they'd done it in three hundred and sixty degree video, and you could ex- you watched the video by putting the Oculus Rift on, and as it was playing, you sort of felt like you were there and you could turn your head and look at this video and it really was very compelling i thought it was fantastic use of technology but you know good promo for the company but i could definitely see myself wanting to be in sort of like david attenborough like environments and you know away from the the selfie stick problems i i can think well this is a technology i would love to see exist um you know even if it was something like you're watching it on on television and you're controlling the perspective of the viewing from a tablet or a phone and as as the film is playing or the documentary is playing you can swipe around on a tablet a second screen and um and and look all around you i'm thinking this is something i'd very much love to see more of and hopefully it's something we we will Let's move on and talk about the miniature wrist-mounted elephant in the room: smartwatches. <laughs> now, this is the this is the one to watch. This is the trend. Oh no! Sorry, this there is there is
2: no excuse for that.
0: I, I have to say, I did that on the telly actually the other day. <laughs> I, I used that <laughs> did you? immediately. Immediately wished I hadn't. Um, but apparently, that hasn't stopped me from doing it again. Let's talk about smartwatches, though, because they were everywhere. I mean, you know, it was it was smartwatch, smartwatch. Versed stand, smartwatch, iPhone, iPhone case, smartwatch, <laughs> smartwatch, smartwatch, at Ether. Um <laughs>
2: case, case, case,
0: yeah. Depending it's on depending depressing. on where you were, smartwatch were everywhere. You know, Sony, Samsung, Acer, LG, Asus, um, Motorola, Samsung, Huawei, I mean TomTom. Like you name a technology company and you can pretty much get halfway to naming uh, a, a watch product the uh, the manufacturer being the first 50% of course the 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 product being the second I'm sure that was clear if not it should be now but Ian we wanted to talk about a few didn't we, we want to pick out um some i wanted you to start yeah. with the the galaxy gear s2
2: well it's not android wear is it no it's tizen <laughs> which actually i don't think is going to be a big problem i mean um they've an- they've already announced haven't they that it will have support on all what android watches which is a new thing for samsung previously it limited that to own its own phones which is just silly isn't that a uh, bit weird coming during the week that android wear became <laughs> compatible with ios yeah i know it is absolutely weird um but i i mean th- there's absolutely no reason that um, samsung couldn't add add its own support in for um for for tizen into ios if it really wanted to i mean obviously apple doesn't have a problem with it and i'm not surprised by that because they're probably just sitting there going well they're not selling any watches, are they? So it doesn't really matter if we let them on our platform, um, you know. So it uh, really, I, I, I thought that the, I thought that Samsung absolutely nailed it with that watch. I mean, I, I think it looks, uh, I think it looks great.
0: Well, I- we can't unfortunately talk about the. Uh, we can't show through the no. medium of audio what, what it looks like. But
2: presumably people do have, uh, what's that thing called, the
0: internet. Yes, although that's why they're choosing to listen to a podcast, because perhaps they're not <laughs> they're available. They're not near the internet right so now. So let's talk about this. It's a bit bigger yeah. um, than the previous um, watches. It's 42 millimeters wide, it's 50 millimeters tall, and it weighs 47 grams. And that's uh, in comparison to the 40 uh, by 44 millimeters of the the the, uh, the classic, if you like, and that was 42 grams. It's waterproof, no, water-resistant, sorry. It's got a bit of a new look and feel. It's It looks a little bit more like an actual watch. And it's got some interesting specs, like it's got a 1 gigahertz processor, 4 gig of onboard storage. It'll play MP3, AAC obviously um, they reckon Samsung says two or three days of battery life which would definitely be an improvement from the Apple Watch Um, it's not going to get Android wear so as you say it's still very much tied to Samsung's app platform but there are somewhere around 70 or so Um, companies working on gear apps and there's going to be about 50 apps available for the phone at launch, um, Uh, which obviously a lot less than Apple had and a lot less than are available for Android Wear.
2: Yeah, but a couple of things that are worth pointing out, really. A lot of apps, um, a lot of things don't need an app for your smartwatch. It's a lot about notifications, isn't it? So, you know, you don't need an app for absolutely everything. There are some things where it's very useful, um, but I think there's a trade-off. Tizen is it shouldn't be very difficult for tizen to 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 be to port apps between uh, android wear and tizen really i mean they're they're almost the same really i mean not almost the same they they're just built on the same foundations but i really i don't see why there isn't more if if samsung's going to make tizen a thing it's going to have to ultimately support android apps i think um and and samsung's very keen on tizen not entirely samsung's product Um, but it is something that they're very invested in. Um, But anyway, again, I I don't think you need a huge number of apps. Um, I I don't really use apps on my watch, really. Mm. I mean, I have got an Android Wear. They don't make it exactly easy.
0: No. It's much easier
2: on the Apple Watch, isn't
0: it? It it is. It it tends to be, in my experience, yeah. I I used a number of the original Galaxy Gears. I've got sort of Two or three of them, I think, in a drawer somewhere here from uh, sort of review review moments of of days gone by, and none of them I found particularly compelling and I do find myself still with uh, with an Apple watch you know regularly not remembering that i 've got one um, <laughs> uh, or, or or using it and I find myself liking when it 's there and using it, but I still think, like I said, with the iPad a number of years ago, that it 's waiting for native apps to be really good. And I think that's going to be the killer difference. So, but, but the S2 is sort of a range. I mentioned earlier that there's a smaller one and a larger one. There is going to be a third one which has 3G support as well, which would remove it from any kind of con- necessary connection to a phone for, for, ah, for connectivity. that's pointless. <laughs> it probably is, but it's, it's the Samsung thing, isn't it? That, that also,
2: 3G, three, three is, is it definitely 3G or not 4G? It's 3G. Uh, that's stupid, because 4G is so much more um, power-efficient. In fact, 4G can be more power-efficient than Wi-Fi. But
0: I, mean, I suppose the idea is that it's liberating you from the need to have a phone. It's, it's allowing you to take it out for a run, to go somewhere else, and to at least be able to do everything on the watch. I mean, LG told me when they did their um, Urbane in
2: 4G that it was targeted for one um, market which is South Korea, South Korea. surprisingly yeah. and it was one um, provider so it, it was never yeah. really intended to sell globally it's one of those things that they built for some foreign network um, and that network would have had an idea for it.
0: And that's the position that we're in focusing here on the UK is that we're we're not necessarily the market that that is demanding this and yeah. nor nor for that matter is much of Europe or North America but in South Korea things is difference in it. That is Aoife. But the last thing I wanted to get to before we go to uh, a little bit of feedback that we've got at the end of the show is um, I wanted to talk about light bulbs. Philip's being a manufacturer of, of light bulbs and, and light t- technology in its hue range is in a really difficult position and this is how the conversation started when i was speaking to them at IFA. because i'm the sort of person that will spend money on things that i don't necessarily need but that i know will make certain aspects of my life a little nicer or more convenient um, as as do a lot of people but light bulbs are never the things that anyone really thinks about other than if you're building your own home and with that in mind I spoke to a gentleman called
1: Georgiani. I'm the head of technology for home systems at Philips.
0: We're talking about light bulbs. I think this is the first genuinely interesting conversation just before we started talking uh, about light bulbs that I've ever had. And we're standing in front of a demonstration of uh, Philips Hue. It's a range of colored bulbs connected via an app. I can control lamps from home or away from home. And it's very compelling and very interesting. The question I have for you to begin with is. I was just about convinced to go and buy a new lamp and go and buy a Philips Hue. Then I discovered that you do need a hub that costs 200 pounds or 200 euros uh, to network these before you can get in, in that space. That fit, to me feels like a roadblock and I'm
1: curious if it is perceived as you by you as, as, a, as a roadblock that you could understand. In the end it's all about giving people the ability to easily control, easily control their lights in a new way so they get more value out of it. Now, whether there is a, a hub or not a hub, um, I think for most consumers it doesn't actually matter. The question is how easy it is to set up. And the reality is actually by having a hub, we're able to offer more valuable functionality and make the setup easier than if not. There are systems out there which don't need this hub, but then you can't control them when you're away from home. You can't have things like timers or interactions with physical switches. Um, and this is all the things that is enabled by having a hub. In the end, we sell starter kits, which are three light bulbs and a bridge. And how much does a light one of the bulbs cost individually? Yeah, so the, we have a range of different bulbs. The ones which do all colors are 60 euros, uh, 50 pounds each, uh, and we sell three of those and a hub for 200. We also have white only bulbs, um, which are 20 euros or 17 pounds, uh, which are then more affordable and just do dimming which is fine for many areas of your house, but if you really want to do the, the rich, decorating your home with light, creating different ambiences, or take advantage of the biological impact the light has on your body, then the colored bulbs are for you.
0: To continue the, the um, going over again, a, a conversation I had with a colleague of yours uh, just a few minutes ago. Um, I, I was telling her a fascinating story about Um, A few weeks ago, I went down to a local Morrison supermarket. I needed a new light bulb, and I decided, you know what? No, I'm not going to buy a standard, cheap, crappy light bulb. I'm going to buy a nice LED one. It cost me about £11, Morrison's own. I'm not sure what the lumens measurement was, but either way, I'm very satisfied as far as bulb shopping goes. What is the roadblock between me buying that and being happy to spend quite a lot more money on that single bulb and buying something like this. Because it feels to me like there's a disconnect between uh, what people perceive that they need and what people see every day out and about in a somewhere like Morrison's uh, and see on a shelf. Like, I don't, I don't know if I see kits like this on a supermarket light bulb shelf. And I'm wondering
1: how you address that as a problem. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the real issue we have is awareness. And we've been trained for the last hundred years to expect nothing more from a light bulb than on and off and to only worry about it when it breaks and we need to find a new one. Now actually you know, we think light can be a much richer part of what you're doing in your home and if people were able to realize what it could do that by buying a light bulb you're not just buying a source of light you could also be buying a home security solution, you could be buying a study aid, and you could be buying you know, an alternative to a display cushion to make your home more beautiful I think that is what is going to push people over the edge, but it's all about awareness. And the reality is supermarket shelf, where you're going to be buying these bulbs, there's not a great way of telling the story that actually lighting has changed. And that's why we're not selling it in these places at the moment, because we can't get the message across. It's such a fundamental transition from what a light bulb is. Is that
0: something we can see changing in the future? Because that seems like like almost that's the answer. Is make people more aware that there is now an ecosystem around light bulbs and that you can genuinely have an interesting conversation about light bulbs, which for people like me is not a common occurrence. And yet I'm going to call your bluff and I'm going to buy a set. I'm going to try a set out because I can see the value. But it's, for me, as a a geek with money to spend on stuff like this that technically I don't need, but do benefit from if I invest in it, it's taken me a trip to a trade show to be convinced that it's something I should uh, look at. And it feels like
1: it's got to be a no-brainer that there's got to be better in-store promotion for this sort of thing. So, I mean, absolutely our number one goal at the moment is to create this awareness. And we're doing that with a lot of different retailers um, in the UK and abroad, where we can really have interactive demo experience, rich content to really explain the added value that lighting can have. I think there's a lot of other companies talking about the smart home and they're doing a bit of a disservice in some senses because they're making it all about controlling things with your smartphone. And if I try and sell you, here is a bulb you can control from your smartphone, I think that is immediately making it a more geeky technology focused product. When the reality is, we're transforming the role of a light bulb in the home, you don't have to interact with, it with a smartphone. We also have physical switches, you just give yourself the ability to have more rich control of lighting, it's not on and off anymore. You can transform the look of your room from a romantic dinner place to a cosy atmosphere to watch TV to somewhere to get some work done, Um, and that's the message we need to get across.
0: So that was Georgianni, head of technology at Philips Light Home Systems. Now, Ian, I know that you are like me, someone who can be made to be interested in in light bulbs. So, well, here's the thing, though, mate. I'm already like well into my light bulbs so
2: I, I leds couldn't come quick enough for me um because i i mean i i, I just hate those energy saving bulbs the fluorescent based ones i, I despise them and I, I refuse to use them ultimately because i just find the light from them is almost universally bad i i know they've Improved a lot over the years, and um, and and the modern ones are very good, and they turn on very quickly now. But LEDs, you know, immediately on, much more customizable range of colours, um, the opportunity to have a smart light bulb that enables you to, you know, network several of them via a hub or not via a hub. You know, I, I, this, I is, this is the I'm thing sold. that I was
0: this is the thing I was talking to George about is that you know part of the issue for me is that you know if I want to invest in this, it's not just a simple case of okay, well I'll buy one of the light bulbs for twenty pounds, twenty euros, whatever they are, and and sort of get into it that way, which I think would be the 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 best way of of introducing people to it because you can see that on the box in Morrison's standing there saying control this light bulb from your phone. You know, it would be difficult to do that, admittedly, but you could do that via Bluetooth. It'd be very practical in a single. And there room are people setting. that I've done bulbs that do work yeah. that way. But this, but the, the you know the 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 obvious way into this and on a on a more realistic scale is you buy you spend two hundred pounds two hundred euros on a hub you get three bulbs you can update the software to these um you know after the fact but it's still quite a large investment and i think you know saying to anybody at this point still 200 pounds on these hubs even if it does include light bulbs is is a big ask and it's it's i think at this point it's even it's too much for me to to want to really feel comfortable plumping down but if we got rid of the hub and we have these bulbs talking to each other as in a mesh network then that strikes me as the better way in if it was possible to do that because then you can literally put a bulb in a shop that says this light bulb works with your phone and that's a lot more compelling to slowly start investing in other than you not only need this, but you really need to think about buying a hub or several of them, or you know whatever else. Even though well, it's I, possible. Yeah.
2: Um. What? One thing I was going to say that I think might tip it, and I, I've not been a big proponent of uh, Apple's HomeKit, um, but I do actually have a feeling that they're that they could be a part of the revolution here because um, we need a standard. So that that's the that's the crux, isn't it? It doesn't necessarily matter. Um, if you have a hub to start with. You may choose to add one later if you think it can offer services that you might like. The key is, when you buy a light bulb, an LED light bulb could last anywhere between 5 and 20 years or longer. Um, you don't want, and they, and, and they are relatively expensive, you don't want to have to replace them all because you bought into the wrong system. What you want to do is buy something that's a standard that enables you then to add it to a hub Later. Yes.
0: And the thing is though, mate, just to interrupt you slightly, is that hub is the key here because there's lots of discussion about the next Apple TV is going to be that the Apple T V becomes almost the hub for home kit in the home that connects these devices together. But similarly, on I went to Samsung's stand for a little while at EFA and they had their new Smart Things hub. And mm. that is an open standard. Now smart things, it works with the likes of Philips hue for example. It works with, you know, Yale locks and well uh, thermostats and things like this it works with ios it works with HomeKit, android like it's a weirdly open system um for samsung but again the hub is the key to this and i i'm with you and i sort of think i the hub to me stands as the problem it feels like there should be something else that is the hub the hub should be a mesh network every device should in it in a sense should be a hub if that is possible in some way
2: yeah, no, absolutely is possible. I mean, it, I suppose it, it might add cost to the light bulb, but you'd probably mm. rather pay a little bit more for the light bulb than have to. I mean, first of all, the, the, the process of having to get a hub and plug it into your router. It's annoying. So no router should be that. the hub. Routers well, should oh, be well, a hub. The yes. hub.
0: Maybe the hub technology is what should be open because yeah. then any device manufacturer can bake it into their into their products as a selling point. I mean, or I could see every
2: this. light bulb is the hub.
0: True. This is you true know, as well. And,
2: and, you, and, you, and you tell the light bulb what your Wi-Fi password is, and it connects automatically to your router, and then you can control them online. Um, and then they create a mesh network within, in, within themselves, which is either based on Wi-Fi or another standard if they want. You got. To, I suppose it's like Sonos,
0: really, Yeah, but the, ultimately. Down- the downside there being that it means that lamps have to be plugged in and switched on all the time. in order to get the power why not why not not make the why can't we have a hub that is a lamp i mean a lamp is the perfect shape to be a hub in the in uh, in the first place that's a very good
2: idea and i i I think you're going to really in years to come you're going to really regret saying that on a podcast without first having a patent in place
0: my job is to disseminate information (laughs) you know as long as i keep bringing the value to the businesses of the world and the entrepreneurs yet to be born then I'm doing my job properly you know um we're going to wrap that up though um that's been a i think really interesting discussion it's been it's been fun to to talk about this however if you disagree and you think it was the most tedious way for you to spend half an hour let us know <laughs> on podcast at com. and obviously if there's any point that you've heard any technology you've heard us discuss that you have a view on podcast at natelangson.com is where you should write in do you want a 4k phone do you want a lamp that is a hub to your home automation and more to the point do you want a 360 degree thousand pound two kilogram weighing selfie stick in order to broadcast your self ironically 360 degree selfie stick is kind of stupid you only really need about you know 20 degrees to get yourself in um you know 35 degrees um to get yourself in a selfie so the other sort of 320 odd degrees is somewhat unnecessary ambience to the background of your own face but that is innovation isn't it it's a constant list of question marks <laughs> which we shoot down like fish in a barrel in um now We have one email I wanted to get to before we wrap up the show. This comes from somebody who did not leave their name, but they submitted through the form on uh, natelangston.com forward slash podcast. And uh, this writer says about ratings on music videos. Whilst it may not be may not make a huge difference to viewer behavior. I think this is likely to cause the big labels to rethink how much mindless smut they try to chuck into their videos. If they think there's a risk of the kids missing out on their 15 or 18 classified videos, they will likely adapt. Anything that forces people to think more creatively about how they attract viewers is a good thing, right? Rather than just seeing how much sex and violence they can get away with. I would agree. I would I would agree massively. We see this in films, don't we, Ian? Where mm. directors don't want necessarily to either have a 15 or a 12. They sort of aim for a specific rating in order to get the best uh, attendance for the audience they're trying to go after. Yeah. Sometimes an I- 18 certificate can be a blessing or a curse. You don't want to see an 18 rated Transformers movie, but similarly, you probably don't want to see a 12 rated horror. Um, well, that's
2: the thing, as well. Well, actually, don't, don't dismiss the twelve-rated horror because um, that th- you can be very skillful with. Uh, there was one. There was a very good example. Was it the hole? I think it was the hole. It's um, it's not. It, I think it's got quite a low rating. Maybe it's a fifteen or something. Um, that's particularly true in America, uh, where basically you, ha- you the the rating system means that you are going to have an R, which is anyone can go with an adult um, if as long as they're. Yeah, anyone under... Uh, and if you're 17 or older, you can go on your own. Uh, but, no, is that right? Or is it NC-17? Well, anyway, NC-17 is the rating that everyone does their absolute best to avoid because if you get that, nowhere will show it. Mm. Um, and and America's a very, very strange place in terms of, you know, the, it's fine to have people killing each other, and uh, but you can't have any, you know, naked bodies or anything like that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I completely agree with the point. I think, mm. actually, yes, there's a... Cause, he's right there's a lot there's a there is a, a, a certain amount of music videos that come out that are just obviously aimed at creating a certain kind of reaction yes yeah. that's, and that's not that's not creatively brilliant is it
0: thank you very much to anonymous emailer for that thought-provoking question more of those please podcast at natelangson.com that is where you can send your thoughts feedbacks concerns criticisms and compliments to for next week's show, where we will undoubtedly be discussing the reveals from Apple's September 9th event. iPads, Apple TVs, the next generation of HomeKit, iOS 9, next Mac OS 10 version. Like what what possibly could we be excited by? Well, we'll find out in a few days, and you'll hear our views on the podcast in a week's time. Thank you very much, Ian. See you next week, folks. Sorry, I don't know where that voice came from. <laughs> brilliant night